Hi, and welcome to this special edition of Ear Movies. My name is Simon Luckhurst, and today I'm in conversation with Trevor Brown, who composed the music for season two. Just a quick spoiler alert. Trevor talks about some of the plots, so you may want to listen to the stories before this interview. We didn't use all of Trevor's music when we were editing the stories, for reasons of time mainly, so there's some music in this interview that doesn't appear in the shows. What you're about to hear is a really fascinating insight into Trevor's process. I presumed, naively perhaps, that composition was simply about putting a bunch of notes together in the right order. As you're about to find, though, for Trevor, it's far, far more. Trevor, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Simon. How are you? We first met years ago in Wollongong, New South Wales. How did you end up there? I ended up in Wollongong University School of Creative Arts um, because I was actually studying science down there. And, it was cause, and I studied science there because I wanted to do physiotherapy and Wollongong Uni was the only place that had a science and anatomy department because I was a big sporto as well as being a musician when I was at high school. So I did one year of science and then um, when I befriended musicians from the School of Creative Arts there, when I, at the end of the day, I'd been dissecting frogs, you know, catching the train back to Sydney. Oh, what you? I was dissecting frogs and, and what were you? Oh, we were playing Mozart in the morning and then collaborating with sculptures in the afternoon and I, I did one year of science and ended up doing a music degree. So that's what I ended up doing. That's funny, I started doing biology at uni too, so I also spent a bit of time slicing into a bunch of small, unfortunate vertebrates. <laughs> when you weren't dissecting, what instrument did you play? I was a flautist. The flute is my instrument, and that's what I was studying down there, and I'm still playing it, but though um, I, I branched out after leaving uni and playing in orchestras, and the flute is... A, a beautiful instrument, but somewhat limited in its scope. So I branched out to saxophones and clarinets. So are the saxophone and clarinet the same fingering as the flute? It's uh, 90% similar. And then the clarinet is maybe 70% similar, um, but which is enough to make it very problematic. <laughs> I don't need to do sudoku for, to keep the brain active. I just have to play multiple instruments. I know you're familiar with electronics too. Do you play anything else? When I travelled, I fell in love with the mandolin, so I taught myself the mandolin, and then that sort of extended to the bazooki, and then it was necessary to study percussion, and then piano, and so all those things I just sort of learnt. And when did you start composing? I always composed. It was just a thing that I always did, and I didn't realise that that wasn't normal. Uh, I was just making up tunes and, and, um, and composed at high school, and, and you know, I was writing stuff out, and... But then I was also improvising. And then from one of my HSC exam uh, pieces I had to submit, I'd actually improvised a whole long long piece and then spent months writing it all out because I didn't know you were allowed to improvise. And they were far more impressed with the fact that I improvised it. Improvising is a rare thing. You know, the era of specialisation that we have where I, when I was studying, you, you could either be a performer or a composer and the era of, of composer performers sort of died out with... Beethoven and or Liszt or or Chopin, you know, they were composer performers. Or actually Shostakovich, you know, composer performers. But then, as we got further into the 20th, 20th century, um, you had to be one or the other. It was rare that you had someone who was performing their own work because they're both very time consuming. But then now we're back into the era, especially with production capabilities, and now you know, in everyone has a whole recording studio in their laptop. The 21st century musician is now uh, m far more equipped. They've heard a lot more music. Like you could go through your whole life as a classical musician, say, 100 years ago or 50 years ago even, and never really hear jazz or be around it. And now we have everything, all sounds, all music from all time that's been recorded is instantaneously accessible. I mean, I was composing for you know, small orchestras and ensembles that... And you would never get performed because we don't have those orchestras and ensembles at your disposal. So I started moving to smaller and smaller ensembles. And then when computers became affordable, then it was like, well, actually, I can produce stuff myself. I don't need to wait for someone to play it for me. I mean, during COVID, I mean, this COVID period now, just to date the interview, is where, where are we in September 2021? I mean, I've, I've done five concerts in a year. I mean, I would be doing five in a week before. And um, so I'm definitely a composer now because I'm not performing. 
<laughs> but I'm practicing every day, but for what, you know? Then, one fateful afternoon, we ran into each other after so many years. What did you think when you read the stories? I love the stories. I mean, that's, I wouldn't be working on them if I didn't love them. I, I enjoyed reading them. I found them all quite moving. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Before you began, did you have any concept in mind regarding your overall approach to composing for ear movies? For whatever reason, I don't know why, but it's become a thing, um, and you see it in all Australian films, sort of blues, Pink Floyd guitar is what the Outback sounds like. I know what you mean. I think it all stems, for whatever reason, from Ry Cooder's Paris, Texas soundtrack. Yeah. It wasn't set in Australia, of course, but ever since then. Yeah, yeah. So, so it becomes cinematic and they are in movies and so it's like, okay, that'll put us there, wide open space. <laughs> so how did you go about composing for Whispering Moths? I mean, this is the thing about composing for that story set where it is, in jail, insects, supernatural stuff, indigenousness. Um, there's sounds that those bring to me. I call it the, it's the Humpty Dumpty method. You know, a word means what I say it to mean. I will give a colour, you know, so then we go into synesthetic territory. So this mood has a colour and that colour has a sound. So I went with Okay, cliche. I, I had some chains. I recorded some chains, and they have some frequencies because it's a jail thing. So it gives you that sound. But then I took from those chains some um, frequencies that were whatever it was, F sharp and a G, and so that became the tonal center for the opening of the piece. And then that led itself to something else: uh, um, electric guitar, long drone. Um, I also um, instead of because there's some um, indigenous the, the indigenous character um, I played some bass clarinet in there because it is basically a European didgeridoo so there's a um, this long bass clarinet in there giving that sort of earthy tone and then uh, and then from the the chain sounds I also brought out what would I would see as a uh, insect firefly sounds um, you know sparkling sort of stuff. And what I also like to do is like to take things that are at the end of the f story and put them at the beginning. So it's sort of like a, a, a preemption of what might happen. So it's like, why is that sound there? You don't associate with something, but when you get to the end, it's there. And actually now, I remember, and then at the end, I just had, um, you know, like a, it's just fun to write insect circus music. So I write this little cute trumpet and bass clarinet um, circus theme. Here's Trevor's music for Whispering Moths.
what software do you use when you compose? Primarily these days my go-to is um, Ableton Live software. And um, I've used everything, but this one is really spontaneous. It's built to be, um, it's, it's more of a, it's a composing tool more than a production tool. And say things like Cubase or Pro Tools are for recording things, not like a studio, but, but Ableton, you can, it's very malleable in the way that you can work with sounds. And so you can actually create quickly and like it becomes, the, the, the software itself is like an instrument. And, and the only limits are your creativity, you know, your imagination. So you can, you know, so I want that backwards and upside down and I want to pipe it through there and then bring it back into there and add a thing and then you can just do it on the fly once you know how it all works. What was your process for between a rock and a hard place? In all the pieces, almost all of them, I think I've used field recordings that I've made from around Australia because I've been touring you know, for 30 years around Australia and uh, everywhere I've gone I've always been collecting sounds. So that piece and what's, and I believe that each, I mean this is part of my concept of music is and place is that each place has a tonal centre and a, and a, a, a colour a sonoric colour or timbre and so so I had recordings from Yass when I was camping near Yass and so I had these recordings of the birds and the sounds from there so they made their way into it and so I think I may have used a different part of those recordings from Yass. That rhythm that goes through it is a Malawian celebratory dance that I found online and then I re changed all the instruments and then so that's actually that rhythm slowed down slightly so it's what's coming it's the harbinger of the ending and so all the way through it there is that and then there's a bark chorale which is one of my favorites just because it's the most simple melody just like da 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 but it's um the words are um uh we are nothing life is fleeting and um, so, and because of the church influence, it all sort of combines. So this is Malawian influence, there's the earth influence, and there's the church influence, and then the fact that they're desolate and grungy. So there's a bit of distorted guitar in there. That's my, that's my process. Because it mixed it in a pot. <laughs> and now here's Trevor's music for Between a Rock and a Hard Place.
What's it like composing such short pieces? It's not so hard. I mean, I say this, but to write two minutes of music is, you know, you can really create an atmosphere. And in a sense, that's like an exposition. You know, the composing and the really working through of a thing to make it into a 15-minute piece, that's when it really takes some thinking, you know. So um, so to, to create a colour, for me anyway, it's, I suppose I'm, I'm a colourist, it's like, there it is. There's, there's the elements and um, hopefully it works. I think it works. I like it. Even to my uncultured ear, it sounds like you went straight to the bazooki for the golden bell. But it doesn't sound like a normal bazooki to me. What I did was was um, retuned a bazooki. So I, I and so it's um, I invented a tonal system because a bazooki is eight strings for in four duos, like a twelve string guitar, but it's only four, but there's eight, and so each one is different. And it's a tuning I just you know sat and worked, you know, just played until it sounded what would be right. And then so uh, so it's a tuning which I couldn't even tell you what it was right now, but it's some weird tuning. But then using the harmonics. Uh, there was a melody, and then um, and then that led itself to a very difficult way to play because n- none of the fingers are where they should be. And so I and then what I was able to pull out of that and that little melody that comes in is what is actually could work on those um, between harmonics and the strings, the various tunings. So it was like this contortion, um, which in a, in a way um, works with the piece. Last time I had the bazooki out of its case was May last year, and I wrote a, recorded a tune that I was sending off to do something in Italy. And it's been sitting in the case for a year, so I, I decided, here's a Greek influence, I'm going to use a bazooki. So it was really just me. Um, I mean, it took, <laughs> it took at least a week for me just to get the calluses back on my fingers so I could actually make it sound right. Like, I, was, I practiced every day for a week just so I could play that. <laughs> that 45 seconds of music. <laughs> And now here's Trevor's calloused fingers and altered bazooki tuning with his music for the Golden Bell. Thank you. 
Seeing that Olympus follows on from the Golden Bell, is that where you started musically when you started thinking about Olympus? Well, yes. And so the, so that's like the sequel, in a sense. And so the Olympus is the same tuning, and I left it all tuned up. And so that was to try to make a different soundtrack out of the, out of the same messed up tuning. My favourite music that I've discovered in the last three or four years is because I've been spending a lot of time in Eastern Europe is Albanian music next door to Greece and they use these drones and also an instrument that's very similar to a bazooki um, or a lira and um, and then the clarinet played in that particular style and so I just um, gave me an excuse to have my Albanian fantasies in my mind and not, rather than go there. And then I think Olympus, it closes out with, well, spoiler alert, but what happens at the end of that um, story where, where the, um, the characters end up, um, I need it to go into this sort of driving, rocky sort of vibe.
That was Trevor's music for Olympus. At one stage of his life, Trevor spent a fair bit of time in northern Australia. Yeah, so in the mid-90s, I, I started going up to um, Darwin regularly and um, I was working up there with various circuses and ensembles and we started running events and anyway, I became very connected with a, a family um, of uh, living in the long grass family um, who was a, a the woman was from golf country and her partner was from Thursday Island um, and he had a twin brother identical twin brother and they were incredible dancers and they used to live sort of in outside of Brownsmart theatre they used to live in the behind the trees there they'd set up a little cubby for themselves and um, they became very good friends and um, and then I was sort of in you know brought into their family in a sense and we were running performances outdoors at Brownsmart and one night we were running this you know brackets and jam so it was with the people from brackets and jam if anyone remembers that entity from Sydney uh, which was a multi-art sort of um, jam night. Anyway, so they said they'd come and they didn't come to do a song, like the the two brothers from Thursday Island. And then just towards the end, about 30 Thursday Island people come over the fence and do this incredible traditional dance and song. And it was just, you know, sort of live chat, like the power and beauty of what they did. uh, like to be there, like cause it's all this amazing earthy, like the dance is all about, you know, punching in the ground and stamping and the way you place your feet and these songs and, you know, beautiful Islander um, stuff. Um, so I was very connected with that area. Also in Darwin, there was an amazing Thursday Island group called Drum Drum who played the traditional log drums and I used to play with them. So I was playing, a, you know, um, saxophone with the um, traditional instrument. It was, it was like a funk Thursday Island Funk Band. When we spoke about your music for On Thursday the other day, you said you composed yourself into a corner. Do you want to tell me a bit more about how you do that? Uh, when, I was, when I wrote to you the other day, I'd composed myself into a corner. I decided I wanted to write something for string quartet because the instruments in the string quartet, the two violins, viola and, and, and cello, are like boats. And I'm, I was just imagining that these instruments were sailing around, like as imagine people sailing around in big, like canoes, like big wooden canoes. And um, so I was committed myself to writing for those four instruments. And then so it's sort of a, um, it's just an impression of, uh, of the water and the atmosphere realised through string quartet. Here's Trevor's music for On Thursday.
Conversations with Buckthumper goes into some very different musical territory for me. The story starts in a casino, but I didn't think you'd start the music there as well. Well, I just ended up with the, the poker machine sounds. So, so the um, slot machines, I, I, I sort of made some, you know, two or four bit sounds and then just morphed them into uh, some arpeggios that turned into. I was going for a How Hartley who was a great filmmaker from the 80s, you know, people may remember, but he also wrote a lot of the music. And uh, and the music has just this, this beautiful, m- melancholic, but quirky atmosphere to it. And so I just wanted to go for a How Hartley vibe, but you, the main instrument being a, a, a poker machine. As you do. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the main character, and then the Buck Thumper character, the kangaroo. He is this um, repetitive drone, uh, uh, like a, a bass line, like sort of bouncy thing, because he's a kangaroo and he's connected to the earth, and he's the big buck, so it's his bass, dong 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 dong. And then that sort of had allusions towards some Michael Nyman soundtrack stuff from the Peter Greenaway films, and because it sort of has some of that atmosphere, so there's some, so there's. Um, that's it. And then across the top of it, I suppose with the Michael Nyman, Peter Greenaway reference, there's this sort of Baroque piano that just uh, symbolises the glorious mediocrity of the um, of the whole scenario. And that's the thing is some of those stories, like you get through them, it's like, oh, God, it's dire. Um, <laughs> and then something happens and it's like, oh, it's beautiful. So so um, that's, I suppose, is, is, is captured in the... Um, in that little soundtrack. And there's a road train in there too. Yeah, that was recorded outside of Mount Isa. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a sound. Yeah, I have long memories of um, like tra- driving, because I used to drive up to Darwin and back, back in the day. And um, so these long trips in between um, where time really does slow down. And, um, and the straight roads and where it's so flat that you can see the dark. The darkness will rise. The sky will still be blue, but the band of darkness will rise from the horizon, and there's stars in it. Anyway, but then if there's 
trucks coming you can't tell for ages that whether it's a star coming over the horizon or a truck because they're just coming down this straight line 20 minutes a truck will be approaching and then and then you can't it's just this light getting bigger and bigger and then you can hear the from the truck and then but another 20 minutes until it finally comes past and then goes on um but just watching it one truck go by is like a 40 minute activity you know just if you throw yourself into it anyway so that sound is great yeah here's trevor's music for conversations with buck thumper complete with ambient road trains Now, Wishing Well, a story with a fairy in it. I think this was the first story I sent you. That one, because um, it opens in Katoomba, I think, or the Blue Mountains. And then so I, have, I had all these recordings, beautiful recordings of, um, of dawn choruses around Katoomba. So I was actually, I'm working with a concert harpist and I was looking at some of the Ravel harp music and it's just so amazing. I thought, I'm going to try my hand at playing, uh, doing some arrangements in the style of Ravel. So I threw myself into it. It's like, see what I can do. Um, he's so good. Like, he's one of these people that are freakishly good that it just takes all the fun out of it. It's like, oh. Anyway, so, um, and decided I was going to... Um, Okay, one thing to write in the style of Ravel, what will I write in the style? So I've taken um, Into My Arms, Nick Cave, and then sort of uh, deconstructed it. So that's the essence of it. It's the chords to, to Into My Arms, it's one of the greatest Australian love songs, so they say, so people have voted. And, um, and then I've made this um, extrapolation of the elements of that into the theme of, of what is now Wishing Well. 
So yeah, and it's so it's for uh, concert harp, viola, violin, cello, and flute and clarinet. And I'm playing the flute and clarinet parts. Here's the music for Wishing Well. Nick Cave, if you're listening, I hope you liked that variation on a theme of your song. The final piece Trevor wrote was The Great Mantini. Trevor, I think the initial brief I sent you for this story was Magic, China and Apples. I started working on those ideas before, um, before the story arrived. So I was collecting lots of Chinese orchestral sounds. Didn't, wasn't quite sure what to do with the apple, but it made me think French, South, Southern France, French music. In the end, I went with um, a chimbalom, a chimbalom, chimbalom, cymbalom, in the way you want to say it, which is uh, like, like, like a big dulcimer that they use in China, but they also use in Eastern Europe. And uh, so that became the basis of it. And so wrote something sort of a rollicking Balkan meets Zappa thing that kept on unfolding and unfolding and, and is going to turn into a whole piece in itself. I was using particular modes and that sort of mean to me certain things, unstable, but like always, always rising. 
Um, what else is going on there? Oh, yeah. So then the soundtracks that I re uh, recordings that I re of a typewriter from Zagreb and uh, some fireworks from Venice <laughs> that are also mixed in there because the fireworks are the Chinese element and the the uh, the ma magic element and also um, uh, the typewriter is actually uh, subtly hidden, constant through the th story, I think. So that was a bit of a note to you, in a sense, as well, banging these things out. <laughs> and here's what Trevor came up with for the great Mantini.
All that was left was to ask Trevor, what's next? Uh, well, right now, where are we? September 2021. I'm curating a festival that's meant to be a performance festival for new music and sound, but it's going to have to move on to online. So I'm now trying to get my head around a compelling online experience, which um, is a challenge in itself. Um, I'm working, uh, I have some other sound design um, uh, uh, works for some dance things and um, and then looking forward to um, I get a, a live I have some projects that I'm looking forward to re- releasing on into the world um, in front of people and it really makes a difference like online just doesn't cut it and not sound like a hippie because it actually is the physical reality of it it really is about the vibrations um, you know, music creates vibrations that, I mean, that's my job is to vibrate air particles um, that goes, that collide together, that hits someone's eardrum and body and then makes them think or feel stuff. That's my job. Um, and it doesn't work the same online. You've got to be in the same room, I think. I mean, it's a diff- it's, it's an aspect of performance, of, of music, that it is about the congregation, not just the... Um, sounds. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you for the work you did. And thanks as well for this amazing insight into you and your creative process. If you want to know more about Trevor and his music, head to trevorbrownmusic.com. That's it for this episode. And that's it for season two. Please come back next year for season three of your movies, Murder Ballads. (laughs) For a change, I'm going to end not on the usual show music, but with a reprise of one of Trevor's pieces. I think it's only fitting. I'm Simon Luckhurst. Today I've been in conversation with Trevor Brown. Thanks for listening.